0: you uh, doing? Don't answer that. I can't hear you. (sighs) Hey, welcome to the episode. It's weird because I just had the title right up at the top, which is unusual. I generally like to have a little bit of a preamble, but uh, I don't know. Didn't feel like it this week. Mix it up a little bit. We're just going to get straight into the interview, not an interview, it wasn't an interview, we're going to get into the episode, and uh, we'll just see how this goes. I went on a road trip this past weekend, over Canada Day weekend, Um, and I have done long road trips in the past, Um, but this one was exceptional, even for myself. I was on the road for... 38 hours between Thursday and Saturday night. And then on Monday, I took a trip back to the city and was on the road for another nine. Um, Canada Day is a very good time to go on a trip like that because the whole uh, country is alive that day. Uh, Almost every town is having some celebration, and if you cross into a town that isn't, you can just drive another hour and find something to do. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to enjoy any of the specific festivities, as the purpose of my road trip was to see as many things as possible. I wanted to go see all the big monuments, you know, the world's biggest things, or just, you know, big things in general. So I did I'm I'm definitely a road trip kind of person. I love driving. I love getting behind the wheel and going somewhere. There's something so soothing about moving a machine gracefully down the road, swerving carefully between potholes, moving like a boxer, dodging incoming fists, dancing between damaging blows. The sound of your vehicle, suspension compressing and relaxing as you cross a bridge, or a set of train tracks, and then of course, hitting a fresh paved patch of asphalt, the road quieting, and just experiencing the smooth surface under the wheels. I love it. So I especially like driving for a vacation to go experience pure vehicular bliss, with no ETAs to keep, No expectations, just the road. And so I set a plan. I was going to go visit all of these big things, but I kind of really don't like planning. Instead, I like to fly by the seat of my pants with most of my decisions. And so two days before I was set to leave for this trip that I had been planning for three weeks, I sat down and I marked out the most efficient route to see as many targets as I could. The plan was to keep within the confines of Alberta and to to go to places that I had never been to before and to avoid congested areas as much as possible. So avoiding the two big cities of Edmonton and Calgary was a big point. So I mapped it out and I learned two interesting things. First, Apple Maps has trouble adding extra stops along the route. And Google Maps won't let you add more than 10 or so to the same route. And when you save a route, it actually only saves the very last destination. And secondly, I learned that the trip I had planned was going to take 27 hours. If I just drove and kept going. Which is a long time to be driving, especially alone. The swaying of the car, the long lines of the road that flashing pattern in the window from the center line, they can hypnotize you, make you sleepy. Comfortable seats help you relax. And a completely relaxed person is a sleeping person. And a sleeping person behind the wheel of a 1,000 pounds of glass and metal is a nightmare. Lucky for me, my friend Eric also had the available days off and wanted to tag along. Someone to share company with and converse with. And to ensure I was making safe decisions. You'll remember Eric from an earlier interview episode, Goosebumps for Dogs. Any boat. Here's what I did. Follow me on this journey of the road trip. Leaving home, my first stop was in a small town of Swan Hills. They have a pretty sweet metal sculpture of a swan protecting her nest of five eggs from a grizzly bear. They call it the Wilderness Sculpture, and it was created by an Edmontonian man, Kevin Orocheski, made from 20,000 pieces of metal. The only date that I could determine is that it was likely installed in 1993, the same year I was born. So we stopped to grab a quick photo with the sculpture, grab some honey garlic pepperoni at the gas station up the road, and we head out of town. Next stop on the trip was to see a blue heron statue in Barhead. Named Aaron, this statue of a blue heron is eight feet tall and stands atop a four-foot pedestal. Made of rebar and concrete and built in 1984 by Trigv Seeland, who I assume was a local. There are plenty of herons that adorn the shores of nearby lakes, And so it is fitting that the town would choose them to be immortalized as the town mascot. Aaron has a twin brother who lives at the Barhead Regional Aquatic Center, who used to be used as a stand-in for when Aaron needed touching up. Aaron is right next to Main Street and would see a lot of traffic, so he would see a lot of weathering. Imagine my surprise when I roll into town And I can't find him. I literally had to stop at a gas station and ask someone. I was like, yo, hey, where's where's that Blue Heron statue? And they're like, oh, it's like right there. Right around the corner. But even they didn't realize it hadn't been there. It's not there. (sighs) Turns out, he hasn't been on that stand for like almost two years. They took him down because he's all weathered and they've been... You know, dealing with bureaucracy to try to see if they should replace him, or just cover him in clear coat, and return him, or move him to a different gazebo, this, that, or the other, you know, small town politics. Whatever the case, I took a photo of the stand, and using Snapchat's drawing app, I uh, drew a, a heron on top, digitally, for the memory, you know. We didn't stick around very long. Time to hit the road again, right? Next stop is the village of Sangudo, but not actually in the village. Just off of Highway 43 is a large sculpture of a grain elevator, a common sight along these roads in past days, but not so common lately. A small stipulation about this world's largest elevator. It's about a quarter as tall as a real-life grain elevator maybe a third, so it was really small for an elevator, but it was a large sculpture. It is also a functional sundial and calendar, kind of. You can see what day it is if you see where the shadow lies on a chart while observing it at exactly noon. And the sundial clock portion uh, ranges from 6am to 6pm, which is unfortunate in that by the time I approached this site, the time was 9.30 p.m. Oh well. Take a quick photo, and off to the staging ground for the rest of the trip. Pinoca, home of the world's largest bronc and rider, and my brother. The bronc and rider is a cowboy dude on a bucking horse, with a perfectly flat hat brim, which is nonsense. We had been on the road for just about six hours by the time I rolled into this sleepy little town, only it wasn't sleepy, there were drunken fairgoers wandering the streets. Because Panoka is a stampede and rodeo town, and the Midway Fair was in town, so there were more folks in town than I had ever seen before. I did forget to take a picture of the world's largest broncan rider, because when I arrived it was very dark. And after spending the night there, I forgot to snap a pick before grabbing McDonald's coffee for the road. Oh well, that's when I have the opportunity to see a whole bunch of times. On to the next and the first stop of the next day, Friday, actual Canada Day, in the town of Lacombe. Home of the world's largest fishing lure, sitting at Len Thompson Pond at the end of Len Thompson Drive. This huge chunk of metal Sports the popular Len Thompson design on it, a red and yellow 5 of diamonds pattern. This fish hook is 100 times larger than the actual product, guaranteed to trick a fish and land you a dumb walleye who just wanted to eat the weird wiggle spoon. This sculpture is fairly recent, having only been installed in 2019, on the 90th anniversary of the Len Thompson Company. But there were weird people sleeping in trucks nearby and lots of mosquitoes at the pond, so I snapped a few photos and split really quick. My driving buddy Eric mentioned. Wow, that was really loud, huh? My driving partner Eric mentioned that a lure that big would likely scare away any huge fish aliens who would think to terrorize Earth. Well, hit the road. Next stop we stopped in a teeny tiny I literally blinked and missed this town Torrington. I turned at the second road in town and I was already halfway out Well do a quick loop take two right turns almost leaving town every time come back to the statue well hello there this guy's got a name Clem T Gopher an anthropomorphic gopher wearing boots, Gloves and overalls and a red button-down shirt, leaning on a wagon wheel. Somewhere looking like five feet tall on top of a five foot tall pedestal. Oh, and there's a birth registration in the wall of the pedestal. It reads this. Clem T. Gopher. Date of birth, June 20th, 1991. Oh, not bad. Just missed his birthday. Place of birth, Torrington, Alberta. Father, Homer Gopher mother, Trixie Hydrant Gopher, who is also featured in the park. A painted fire hydrant with flowers in her hair. Created by Peter Sohn of Kelowna, B.C. So, well, that's all the plaque had on it, so I snap a few pictures of Clem and his family, and then a quick jaunt over to a nearby town of Biesecker, which has a I think it was like actually an hour away. Um, This town has a sculpture of a skunk, named Squirt. And I thought that was pretty funny, because it actually smelled like skunk as we rolled into town. Might have been a similar situation to Barhead, choosing their mascot, you know, probably a good-sized skunk population in the area. This lovely little squirt is holding a bouquet of flowers and smiling big and bright, all butt-teethed and weird. Cartoony. Not a lifelike sculpture. I wasn't convinced it was a real skunk, same way I wasn't convinced that Clem was a real gopher. Although maybe the future folk will look back and think skunks used to be nice big creatures who would bring flowers, until they became small, stink-spraying weasel things. You never know what the future holds. Next stop, five minutes down the road and thirteen gopher road kills, Irikana. Irikana is a town. And they have a gas station and a main street. And that's all I saw. Everything was kind of quiet. And the hotel that uh, housed... Is housed the right thing? The hotel that presented the statue, the large horse statue that we were going to take photos of, um, was abandoned. Surrounded by a temporary fence cordoning off half of this street. It's a statue of a horse, but it looks like Old Smokey might not be around much longer. Well, he is still in good condition, but they might decide to move him somewhere safer rather than outside of a hotel with broken windows. and You know, they could just move him like 300 feet up the road, and then you could almost see him from the highway. From here, Eric brought up a good point. He mentioned that Drumheller was only about an hour away. And if we would come from the other side, it would add three and a half hours rather than just one and a half hours. Uh, So we headed off to Drumheller. And let me tell you, that town loves dinosaurs. There were sculptures at every street corner and every gas station or convenience store seemed to sell souvenirs. Also, there's an 86-foot-tall, world's largest dinosaur, erected between 1999 and 2001. That wasn't an estimate. That's how long it took. An interesting tidbit, 86-feet-tall, Tyra the Tyrannosaurus, is double the size of the largest T. rex fossil we have proof of. You can go stand inside of her mouth, but, you know, I didn't have time for that. So I snapped some photos and I headed up five minutes to Rosedale. A statue, sculpture of a miner. Because Rosedale is a coal mining country. Now this may or may not be the biggest miner in the world. Uh, he was about as big as, you know what, I would say he's probably a 12 foot sculpture. And it was very clear that he was a miner. Uh, in some level of disrepair. I didn't check those facts weird there was also a rail mounted coal cutter which is basically a chainsaw that cuts through coal that's mounted on a small train cart with a rotating chain bar so that it could cut horizontally and vertically after that we kind of got lost well actually just before that I kinda got lost I crossed the river and was looking for a way across to rosedale thinking hey i know they're both on the same river there is a bridge that would cross the road or cross the river but uh apparently it was out at the time no not in use so we had to backtrack a little bit cut through Drumheller again head up to rosedale back in you know and when we were in Drumheller, we took a 10 minute stop sat at tim horton's classic road trip fair plotting out the route from there the turnaround spot is still planning on being medicine hat and i want to make sure that i hit lethbridge along the way because along the highway between them there are a few stops to make right drumheller is central and east focused though can't go much further east without circling back but it was shorter than circling back the other way and having medicine hat first then coming back up through Lethbridge and making a figure eight. So the next nearest town with some big things in it to drum heller is actually the town of Hannah, Alberta, the home of Nickelback. They have three goose statues and more than one mural of the band themselves. There are two geese in flight and one goose stanced and ready to fight. Geese are fighters. They're wild as heck. The internet calls them Cobra chickens, Cobra chickens. That's the one. Um, there were two. Hmm, 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 hmm. Oh yes, the third goose was posted up out at the airport, looking like a looking like a plane taking off. Um, on the way out of town, right? So we leave Hannah, head out to the airport, snap a picture of the last goose. And then check the map real quick. Looks like the next closest stop is Vulcan. Right? Hey, you guys know what what's in Vulcan? Nerd shit. The replica of the Starship Enterprise or something like that. Listen, I'm a Star Wars guy. Not really a Star Trek guy. But, you know, I, I can appreciate the nerddom, the fandom. Um, and it is a big, you, you know, sculpture thing. So, s- stop there. Take some pictures. Uh, we get there and there's a a family taking photos in one of those um, wooden cutout portrait things. Like it looks like it's painted to be the bridge of the ship, and you go put all your family's faces in to be different people. But there's like there's like eight cutouts, and like I don't know a family that's that big who would be on a road trip like this and stop there and. I'll be big Star Trek nerds. I guess you could go with like a cabal of Star Trek nerds. Get in a camper, get eight big nerds in a camper and drive them along. That would be cool. Um, There were plaques all around the pedestal of this thing. Uh, There was Klingon strip. Klingon script on one side. The plaque reading, um, what do you want in Vulcan? I'm not a huge Trekkie nerd, so I couldn't tell you if it was accurate or not, but I trust that it is, because Trekkie nerds are big nerds, and if there was a factual inaccuracy, someone would know about it. Heads would roll. Uh, on the other side, from the s- plaque with the Klingon script, there is a Vulcan text. Vulcan is another alien from Star Trek. Uh, that says, welcome to Vulcan. This model of the ship is 31 feet long with a 15 foot saucer standing atop a pedestal that brings its height to 19 feet off the ground. And from Vulcan we're going to meander on down next to Lethbridge. Lethbridge, I'm told, and I discovered, has a large wind gauge, right? And you know what? It was, uh, I think it was like 2-ish, 2.30, we were pondering, stopping in Vulcan for lunch, but then I was thinking, you know, there is a really good pizza place in Lethbridge that I might as well go to, because that's the actual Canada Day tradition. Uh, Two Guys in a Pizza Place. If you're from Lethbridge or stopping in Lethbridge or have been to Lethbridge or planning on going there in the future, I highly recommend it. Uh, So Lethbridge has a wind gauge, which is a big ball on a chain hanging from like a weird cradle arm. But the ball was shackled to the ground to prevent it from moving or accurately gauging the wind. Uh, Eric made a comment that I should climb up and pose like Miley Cyrus on her wrecking ball. And I pondered how much time it would add to the road trip to murder him and bury him alongside the road. Unfortunately, we should have been in Lethbridge by lunchtime, and it was quickly approaching 4 p.m. after stopping for nachos and Hawaiian pizza for the road. Two guys in a pizza place. It's a very good pizza place. Next stop from Lethbridge along the highway to Medicine Hat is Tabor the corn capital. Guess what they have a big sculpture of? If you guessed corn stalks you'd be right, but if you guessed a lady you would also be right. There is a statue called the Uniroyal Lady residing in this town. Pretty sure by Uniroyal Tires. Um, It's standing outside of a different tire shop but they might still sell Uniroyal Tires. And snap a bunch of photos and time to hit the road again, because, like I mentioned, we are way behind schedule. But we are not so far behind schedule that I didn't stop to take a cute video of a family of skunks being ushered across the road by their dear mother. There was like eight of them. They were adorable. I should mention that besides just dead gophers and skunks, I had seen over 50 different animals along the trip so far. Including birds, that number would be well over 200. Anyways, heading north out of Tabor, towards the small potato town called Vauxhall, they had a sneaky sign built of white rocks and implanted in the side of a hill with a white rock clover shape beneath it, about 20 kilometers before you even get to the town. But then when you do get to the town, you are greeted by two giant cartoon potato people. Sammy and Samantha Spud. Wearing hats and sporting green leafy hair. These cheerful statues are probably like eight feet tall. They're posed in such a way that they look like they're dancing in a celebratory fashion. And now that I'm thinking about it, I used to have a raisin toy. was in the same pose like he got his hands on his hip one leg up he's dancing and one finger on a 90 degree arm just pointing up he was wearing sunglasses he was like I don't know if it was a sun made raisin the toy that I had or if he was from a TV show or something but I remember that toy and this is the pose that they were in welcome to town it's a potato party Um, but basically that's all that was in the town, that and a bunch of, um, there were actually a bunch of people on road trips, you could tell, because, uh, uh, you know, southern Alberta, really small potato town, one gas station, I highly expect it was mostly white people in town, uh, there were non-white people at the gas station, you know, filling up their trucks. And there was a camper, and someone was hauling a boat. It must be, it must be a good lake around there somewhere, or something. Um, doo, 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 doo. Making our way back to the highway towards Medicine Hat, we come through a town called Bow Island. Now, Bow Island claims that there are six things to see in this town. We didn't have time to see them all, but we did see the ones that were close together, There's a model of a gas derrick, only 25 feet tall, so much smaller than a real gas derrick. But made out of the same stuff, so I don't think you could claim it to be the largest. Because it's not like a model of it, it's like just a tiny version of it. Then there was a golf putter, embedded in a sign for a golf club. And then, of course, the actually interesting biggest thing, the official mascot of Bow Island. And possibly their sheriff, because there's this massive cartoon Pinto Bean, dressed as a cowboy and packing a huge holstered revolver. Pinto McBean. Built to represent the dry bean industry in the area that the town, you know, was built around. Beans and natural gas. I bet that town has always just smelled a little bit off. Next stop was Medicine Hat, right? And the turning around point. Medicine Hat has the world's largest teepee. An interesting tidbit, my dad is from a uh, town in Saskatchewan called Cut Knife that is known for having the world's largest tomahawk. And the tomahawk has a 60-foot handle. And... It is mounted in a model of a teepee. So, my dad was curious. He asked me, hey, how big is that teepee? Is it bigger than the one in Cut Knife? Because that's a pretty big teepee. This teepee in Medicine Hat is made of masts that measure 215 feet. And a teepee is like a tent that has a peak in the middle, and if the masts are 215 feet, and you guys understand geometry, if you use the measurements provided of a 160-foot diameter circle, the TP peaks at just under 200 feet tall. It's like 199 and three quarters, no, 199 and one quarter feet tall. We get here it's now like 930 and I'm halfway crying because this is such a wonderful sight you know watching the sunset inside of a teepee this (sighs) tribute to the indigenous people feeling the good energies being carried towards me in a very strong wind on canada day that i'm not i'm not celebrating canada day because i kind of don't because i don't like the way that canada has treated the indigenous people i have a lot of indigenous friends and it bothers me that there are people out there who still see them as lesser people like this is their home and I don't see anyone as a lesser person, you know? Like, it's fucked up. And it's hard, it's hard to celebrate a country that is run by people who do these things. We have, we have built our country on the backs of these people, and they deserve more respect than they are given. So I use Canada Day. <laughs> I'm using it for my own personal gain. You know, I'm not celebrating the thing, but I am using the people who are celebrating to know that, you know, there's gas stations that are open. There are things that are happening. I can stop anywhere and have a meal. Have a good time. Pick up some shitty souvenirs, you know? Experience Canada Day. Wherever I want it. So as this wind is blowing through the teepee masts, and flapping the flags on the hill behind me. I feel all the energy moving, you know, all the good energies being brought in. And literally, I was halfway crying. It was was an emotional moment. It's now 9.30, right? The sun is setting. We get to this park that houses the teepee 30 minutes before they close the gates for the night. Like, if I would have stopped anywhere for another 30 minutes, right? In any of these places I stopped, I would have missed the chance to see this. It felt so good that everything was was working out. (sighs) So we leave and plan the way home right the sunset stop at Tim Hortons for another coffee I still have five stops I need to see before returning to my lodgings in Panoka I left Panoka at 630 it's now 10 o'clock and I gotta get back you know five more hours straight line drive So we drive for almost two hours along the border up to the town of Oyen, skirting the border for about an hour and ten minutes of that stretch. Supposedly, Oyen has a pronghorn antelope statue, but it was far too dark to make that out. Interesting tidbit, as we were passing a uh, power plant of sorts, Um, just a little bit to the east of Calgary, uh, I saw a couple of pronghorn antelopes, which was quite interesting. Um, So by this point in the night in Oyen, I'm running pretty low on gas, right? And I didn't expect that many small town gas stations would be open, right? So we adjusted the trajectory a little bit. And along this trajectory, I came across a single vehicle along the rest of the trip. It's midnight as we're in Oyen. It's another three hours home, three and a half hours probably. One vehicle. I stopped at a stop sign. I looked at a closed gas station. I look off to the right and I see a pair of headlights approaching. As it got closer, I could tell it was a big rig. So I didn't want to pull out in front of him because I didn't know how far away they were or how fast they were turning. So I waited, patiently. And then uh, as they got closer, it turns out that they were turning back towards the road where I had just been. So they slowed down right to an almost stop. Uh, It was like a pretty big truck. I think they were hauling um, oil or fuel. You know, it was like a tank truck. Uh, And there were two carts, two trailers, I suppose, or one trailer with a Swing pin in the middle. So I look up at this truck driver in the middle of the night and he sees me there, you know. So I give him a wave and his face warped into a terrifying visage of like a creepy owl. Just kidding, but that would be spooky, right? Uh, Instead of the path that I had plotted moving through Hewenden and Wainwright and Dinalda, we basically just s- jumped straight through to Coronation because they have a giant crown that during the nighttime gets all lit up with beautiful LEDs. So you can take a good picture of it in the middle of the night. And then from Coronation to Panoka and I'm, I'm really running on fumes here, there's only one town in between and I'm about 160 kilometers short of making it to Pinoca, So I stop in Stetler, which is a town big enough to have automatic fuel pumps that accept debit cards. And it was dark, so there was nothing else exciting for me to see. I roll into Panoka at the sweet early time of 3.30 a.m., after being on the road since the previous 6 a.m., This was a long day, a marathon, an endurance trip. I'm honestly surpri- surprised Eric survived it, not just because of his bad Miley Cyrus joke, but being mobile and seated for that length of time is certainly a grueling experience. And he's not the type who drives very far on the regular. I was impressed, but the next day I had another eight hours waiting for us. Twelve. If I was feeling quite energetic. So I wake up later that morning. After a six hour nap. And it turns out I wasn't quite energetic. So. We get in the car. Head to the same McDonald's we had stopped at. The last morning. For coffee. And nope. Fair's still in town. There are over 20 vehicles in the lineup. So we depart. And decide we'll grab coffee in the next place over. With TASCO in. I give Eric the spiel about how cars don't actually cost less in Wetaskiwin. The family that owns all the dealerships just spends all their advertising money on the town's impression as a car haven rather than any one dealership. And that's why they have the jingles. And of course how monopolies are bad and capitalism sucks in general, right? From Wetaskiwin, which doesn't have anything big in it worth taking pictures of, Wetaskiwin, actually, by the way, comes from the Cree word Wetaskiwinik, meaning the hills where peace was made, because of a battle that took place between the Cree and Blackfoot nations in the area. Or so the internet leads me to believe. I should confirm this with one of the Cree local history buffs that I know. Microetomology! Anyways, from Wetaskiwin, all coffee'd up, we headed on to Vegreville to see the Pasanka. World's largest Ukrainian easter egg, 31 feet tall and erected in 1975, back before Ukraine declared independence from the Soviet Union. Well, that is until the Pisanka Museum was erected in Kolomia in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, with a 45 foot tall egg that you can walk inside. This is the point in the story where I tell you, the listener, to question every bit of information provided to you fact check and do your own research you can't take roadside signs as law double check things here do a quick google search for world's largest egg i'll wait but like if you're driving like don't freak out and do it because like i'll tell you in a second did you search it Did you search? spoiler alert it's in winlock washington and, at a staggering length of 12 feet long, this is the third largest egg I've mentioned in the last two minutes. But by all accounts, these dinguses in Winlock think their egg is hot shit. Sure, you could argue that the Pasanka in Vegreville isn't a true egg because it is an Easter egg and depicts a painted egg. Or that it isn't an egg and is actually just a cool round sculpture made of 3,512 smallish anodized aluminum shapes. But the egg in Winlock is just fiberglass, so it ain't a real egg either. And it's often painted to look like the American flag. Like you'd do with an Easter egg. So, Winlock, you cowards, build a bigger egg. Oh, I took a selfie with the egg. Damn, I'm cute. I should see if I can make that the art for this episode. From Vegerville we hopped on over to the sleepy little town of Mundare. I say sleepy in this instance because I'm being slightly insulting. I bottomed out a I bottomed out my car crossing the train tracks in this town. The road at the train crossing is warped to all heck. Mounds and ruts from traffic. My car only sits 5 inches off the ground, so it's scraped, bad. Anyways, it was raining in Mundare, and some guy had his bare feet hanging out the back of his car cooling down. But, they have a big garlic sausage ring, another Ukrainian staple. There are a lot of Ukrainians in Alberta, especially that central zone. And in the northern bits. And the south. Mundare also has a blue painted buffalo inside of a plexiglass enclosure. It's a life-size buffalo. Painted from some Edmonton art installation, created to honor the history of the buffalo and the relationship with the indigenous people around. These buffalo were painted by high school students sometime in the early 2000s. And this one in Mundare is decorated with painted eggs, painted onto it. Another Ukrainian monument. These monuments were all a well-timed reminder for me of the strength of the Ukrainian culture and how distinct they are from Russia. A separate culture. Next stop is a quick quick jaunt north from Mundare to the small town of Andrew, with the world's largest mallard duck, and a little smaller duck just across the road from it. Nothing terribly special here, but the duck was erected because there is a sanctuary lake nearby, a breeding and nesting ground along a major water foul flyway according to the sign near the big duck next we headed to Elk Point with a big guy there is a chainsaw carved sculpture of a surveyor a fella by the name of Peter Fiddler who is famous as an explorer who discovered the first coal in Alberta and having lots of Métis descendants wink Next off, to St. Paul, where there's a UFO landing pad. Unfortunately, my real parents weren't there to pick me up and take me back to the LX-46 cluster where I'm from. Probably just missed them because we use different calendars. I actually bought a souvenir there for the first time on the trip and, like, the first time in a long time. I don't really do souvenirs. I like memories. I don't need... A physical thing reminding me maybe when I'm older and my memory fades so I bought a t-shirt for my favorite person on the planet and a bumper sticker for sticker reasons I won't put it on my car because that's not my style or maybe I will no because no, no. aliens are my people then I got to Vilna and I'm gonna tell you this town was the first town since Drumheller that actually loved their big thing. It's a cluster of three parasol mushrooms, which was useful because it was raining. I literally took cover under them. This town has mushrooms on their town sign, mushrooms on the banners hanging from their streetlights, mushrooms in the names of their businesses, directions to the mushrooms from the main street. It was lovely, cute little town that had pride in their weird thing. Little corner of Canada. And then the very last stop on the trip because I was BAGGED tired. Smoky Lake. They have big concrete pumpkins and big pumpkin harvests. And that's that's about it. Take a quick picture, you know, hit the road. Then like five more hours driving to get home. So I bet by now you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of stops. And, if you have a map and have been following along, you'll see that some distance. On the road, for over 30 hours of driving. I listened to 10 two-hour episodes of a Pathfinder roleplay podcast. And I had a few chats with my friend, between his catatonic naps. Anyways, that's the whole episode. And, if you've made it to this point, you'll realize that I didn't edit anything. I just left all the clicks and sniffles and the times I fucked up words, and it is 7.48, and this episode's going up in 15 minutes, so that's the length of things for me. The moral of the story is that you should go out and experience the world that is near to you. There's a lot of campy shit out there, but I had a great time. You learn a lot of interesting things. And knowledge is power. And power is energy. And energy flows through everything. Increase your energies and use those energies to be a better person. Hey, guess what? The theme song is by Eagle Boy and NX Panton. Boom. Nailed it. Didn't forget this time. Thanks for listening to my weird podcast. I love you all.